All right, well, good morning, Finding Life Church. How's everybody doing? So excited to start this new series with you. It's called With Us, and we're going to take this Sunday and the next three Sundays to uh, just dive into the whole story about Jesus' birth. And I want to, before we get into that, to, to share with you some incredible news. Um, at Finding Life, we want to celebrate with those families who have babies and Derek and Anna Burry. Derek is an elder at Finding Life Church, and they help with the setup. And they had a little baby girl named Layla Grace. She was born Saturday morning. Here are the particulars for those that like that kind of thing. Seven pounds, 13 ounces, 20 inches. And mom and baby are doing great, so let's celebrate with them. Thankful for God's blessing in their life. All right, so turn to somebody, and I want you to um, share with them your favorite uh, Christmas movie. What is your favorite Christmas movie? All right, just quickly share that with each other. How many of you said um, Elf? Yeah, that's <laughs> a few. Uh, let's see, what other? Home Alone? There you go. Okay, is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not? <laughs> we won't say that one. Uh, uh, let's see. What, other, what are some good ones? Christmas Story? No. no. <laughs> What's that? Christmas Vacation. Christmas vacation. Yeah? What, what else am I missing? The Grinch. The Grinch. <laughs> and It's a Wonderful Life. What else? What's that? Polar Express. Rudolph, Frosty the Snowman, there you go, there's a lot of good ones. Uh, Christmas Carol? Yeah, Christmas Carol. So my family and I went um, last night to the movie called The Man Who Invented Christmas. And uh, we all really enjoyed that movie. And it's, it's about uh, Charles Dickens, the writer of A Christmas Carol. And... What the movie does really, really well is share the story about how um, Charles, or Mr. Dickens, came to write The Christmas Carol. And he was, um, it was at a time uh, where he was living at, in England that they did not celebrate. In other words, Christmas was a very minor holiday for them. And they didn't celebrate it um, really hardly at all. It also was a time where um, the church was very oppressive and they didn't take care of the poor and they were um, very exploitive with the children, made them work in factories and that kind of thing. And the church just did nothing for them. And Charles Dickens really um, inside seethed with anger about that. And um, he wrote Oliver Twist and that became you know, a huge success. And then he had several failures um, right after that. And his publisher began to put pressure on him to um, come up with another hit. And not only that, but bills began to mount up with their lifestyle that they were living. And so there was this intense pressure to come up with this incredible hit. And so this story just talks about how um, that came about, how the Christmas Carol came about about um, how he, as he was viewing life during that time, 
would see different characters and then they would begin to come to life in his head and then the story began to weave um, in his mind and then he began to write it out. And, and then what we came to learn that this Christmas carol in his life um, was very parallel. That there was this moment, right, where, this, where Scrooge has this, what I would call this come to Jesus moment and um, begin to realize that the life he was living wasn't who he wanted to be, and he made this complete transformation, right? It sounds a lot like what happens when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and we see that very much so in Charles Dickens' life as well. There was this moment, and I'm going to talk about it here at the end, where he needed to come to grip with something in his life, and this change began to happen. And, and all of us, right, we like good stories. We like... Um, to listen, we like to read, we like to um, uh, put ourselves into podcasts that tell good stories, and we like to watch movies that tell good stories because they, a lot of times, will make us feel good, right? Or they reflect something about, and, they, and we like that they resolve and that kind of thing. Um, but it's interesting to note that in all of these movies, all these stories, that um, they all pale in comparison to this incredible story that is Jesus. And in this time of year, we get to really dive into the beginning of that story as the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But my fear, or not really a fear, but what begins to happen in our life is that we begin to um, really take for granted this story, right? The birth of Jesus and, and it becomes very difficult for us to um, enjoy Christmas for really what it truly is because we're so busy, right, to stop and really um, think about the themes that are very prevalent in this story. And it seems like the world is just pushing this more and more on us earlier and earlier and earlier and it seems like, you know, in September even, and maybe even in the midsummer, you know, we have whatever that is. But it begins to the Christmas because they want to get whatever they're selling out first, right? So they can make money. And I understand that. But it seems like Christmas, this whatever we call what we're celebrating um, secularly, just begins to happen earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier. But yet, what also begins to happen is this thing that we, what's really true about Christmas begins to shrink and shrink and shrink, right? That, yeah, we may celebrate it earlier and earlier and earlier, but this true meaning doesn't seem to go with it. And it seems like we tend to forget, and it becomes shorter and shorter and shorter, what Christmas is really all about. Um... And so this next four weeks, we want to talk about this idea that God is with us through Jesus Christ, um, his son. And we're going to take you, take you back to the foundation of this Christmas story and, and to really reveal the joy and the celebration that it brings to all of those, all of us who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, really? Because why? Because it's not just a story. It's not just a story, because this event, this birth, changes everything. Christmas should change 
everything for those who believe in Jesus. Because God has come to us in the form in the form of this baby Jesus, right? It's literally God with us as we just got done singing this morning. And so we're going to this morning we're going to primarily look at uh, the first book of the New Testament. We're going to primarily look at chapter 1 and and hone in on those first well, that whole chapter, but really 18 through 25 um, as we dive in. And there's a story about um, or See, I always get these names. I want to say Orville, but it's not. It's Orville and Wilbur Wright who um, uh, were successful in getting their particular flying machine going, right? And so they flew at about 120 feet, and they... Um, um, oh, what's that? What's the Morse code thing? They telegraphed. There you go. This note to their sister, it says, we flew 120 feet, um, we'll be home for Christmas. And she was so excited that she went to the editor of the paper and at that time and showed the editor this telegraph and he goes, oh, that's great, the boys will be home for Christmas, right? He totally missed the most important news of that telegraph of the fact that someone had just flown 120 feet. And I feel like that's, what happens with us is that we see and we read and we know the story about the birth of Jesus and everything that surrounds it, the angels, the, the wise men, the shepherds, the nativity scene, all of that. And yet, we're in danger of truly missing, right, what God wanted us to see in that story. Because all of us, right, have heard the outcry that came about um, by taking the Christ out of Christmas. You know, that whole thing about happy or merry Xmas and happy holidays and Starbucks and the whole Christmas cup thing. And I don't know any of all that. Um, but, you know, and, and nativity and, and not putting that or putting that up. And, and we look at that and we go, as followers of Christ, and we would go, well... You know, I'm not really going to do that. You know, I'm going to really keep Christ in Christmas. And I, I feel like that we have some kind, sometimes put an air about us that we are better than that. When in reality, we may be even worse than that in the sense of when we take Christ out of Christmas, we, um, we do that by not believing the story of Jesus coming down from heaven to earth, right? In the sense of that it becomes this life-changing, life-altering event in our life. So, so when we say yes to Christ, but it doesn't change our life, it doesn't do a 180, we're not progressing different from where we were, and it just becomes a nice story, and it becomes just a nice feel-good moment. And I may give, and I may be nicer to my family or to mankind. But if it doesn't truly life transform us, then I feel like that that's really us saying, I'm taking Christ out of Christmas. So let's look at the book of Matthew, chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. And 
And during this Christmas season, I would love for us to, um, uh, back when uh, in the Old Testament, to show honor to God's word, they would stand and, um, and as the scriptures were written or being read. So let's do that this morning, would you? So just stand with me, and I'm just going to read verses 18 through 25 as we go from Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your word that allows us to see your son Jesus and how he lived his life and to model that for us, God. And to tell this great story clear from the book of Genesis to the end of Revelation, God. That you sent your son Jesus Christ to come down to this earth and got to live this perfect life that we couldn't live and to die this death that we deserve, Father. So that we might place our faith in him, God, and be reconciled and be redeemed. So God, thank you for grace. And we need you this morning, Father. We need you because there's some incredible truths that are um, being shared in these 25 verses, Father. And so help us in that, that when we encounter them this morning, that you'll give us the strength and the power, God, to say yes to that in our life and to live differently from this point forward. So God, help us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So before we dive into verses 18 through 25, I want to back up to verses 1 through 17 because there's some things in those verses that we can learn that will help us as we navigate through this life of being a son or being a daughter of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that Matthew chose not to um, start his account of the birth of Jesus with um, about the, right, the well-known events surrounding that whole thing, the nativity, um, uh, by saying um, this, like what we would, would typically think a story would start with, like once upon a time or something like that, right? What Matthew decided to do is he decided to start his story like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then what he proceeds to do is he proceeds to share this long genealogy, this list of, um, that leads up to the birth of Jesus. And if we're being real honest with ourselves, we, 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 we tend to, right, 
we tend to read maybe that first part and then go, yeah, I'm not, that doesn't seem important to me. And we skip down to verse 18 where Matthew begins, right, this, the great story of Jesus' birth. And we go, man, that just seems boring to me. But it's very important for us to look at those first 17 verses and understand the importance of why Matthew did that. Because he didn't start his story, his book, right, with this once upon a time in a land far, far away, you know, like maybe Star Wars might have done. But what he did is he started it, right, with this is the genealogy of Jesus. And so Christmas, Christmas shows us that it's not a once upon a time fairy tale, but it's a real life story encouched in history. And so he wants us to understand that this is a real live event that took place in a specific point of time in history. Listen to what one author says about this particular thing. Christmas is not simply about a birth, but about a coming. God had planned for the arrival of his son before he even created the earth. And we see that in Revelation 13, 8. And like any good writer, he foreshadowed the great person Jesus would be throughout the course of history. And so Matthew is letting us know that this is not a fairy tale. This is not a legend. This is not a a simple metaphor. This is not a myth. This is because that's really how what, you know, any other Aesop's fables or any other thing began to start. And the reason why they start with Once Upon a Time is because either they didn't, or they probably didn't happen, or we don't know specifically how it happened, but there is this great story in there, and there's this great moral thing that's a part of the story, and so we need to get it out. And so that's why they do what they do, once upon a time or whatever, how they started. But Matthew starts it differently because he wants us to know. He wants us to know that there, um, he is, what he's beginning to do is lay this foundation Right about who Jesus is and what he's done in history so that we understand that it's not a fairy tale, it's not a myth, that Jesus is real. And we talk about the gospel, and this gospel is good news, right? We say the gospel is good news. And I don't know if you've heard this phrase or not, I've heard it, but the gospel is, is good news, it's not good advice, And that is so, so true. But what's the difference when we see between good advice and good news? And I want you to listen to this again by an author who wrote this. He said, advice, this is so cool to me, advice is counsel about what you must do. News is a report about what has already been done. Advice urges you to make something happen. News urges you to recognize something that has already happened and to respond to it. Advice says it's all up to you to act. News says someone else has acted. And what we tend to do is we tend to act like the Gospels are telling just another good moral story about what I or you should do. But the Gospel's not telling us about what we should do, right? We know this. It's primarily telling us what what God has done for us. And this is incredible good news. It's an announcement 
um, that you don't have to save yourself, that God has come to save you. And Christmas is the beginning of the story of how God came to save you and I. Think about this. Tim Keller says this. The gospel is, first of all, a message that you need to be saved. And you are saved not in the slightest by what you can do, but rather by what he has done. You begin with Christ, not by adopting an ethic, nor by turning over a new leaf, nor even by joining a community. No, you begin by believing the report about what has happened in history. Think about that. There are a lot of other things that we can learn from these 17 verses in, in Matthew 1. And we don't have time to go through all of them. But another thing that I want us to look at or to think about that really has been beneficial in, in my life is, this, um, is that the genealogy, if, we th- if you think about the genealogy and you read that, is that the genealogy shows us um, that God's promise of a Messiah took a really, really long time. I mean, think about it. If you're the Israelites in, in this promise of a Messiah, this Savior is to come, this King is to come, and then generation and generation and generation and generation keeps passing and keeps passing and keeps passing, you begin to wonder, God, when is this going to be fulfilled? And then at the end of the Old Testament and before we see, we hear about the birth of Jesus, there's this 400-year period where there's silence, that there's no prophet telling Israel about what's going to happen. There's this complete silence. Think about 400 years in this prophecy of a Messiah, this prophecy of a Savior, this prophecy of a King coming and begins to have, there's nothing there. And you would begin to think, right, that God, you've forgotten us. That God, there's, um, that are you really going to fulfill your promise to us as an Israelite people? And I want us to understand that Christmas, this genealogy, shows us that God may take his time, but he keeps his word. That is so awesome, right? That God may take his time, and it, and it may seem like he's silent, but he keeps his word. And the other interesting thing is that it doesn't, it, it's not fulfilled the exact way that Israel thought it was going to be fulfilled. Jesus, or God, came as a little baby. That is not how they thought their Savior, their King, would come. Not only that, but this says that, as we're going to see a little later, that this little baby is fully God and fully man. And this is how God is going to be with us through this little son. You see, God may have seemed to have forgotten, and I don't know if you feel that way in your life. But just like we learned a couple weeks ago is that God is still working in the mess of our life. And he's arranging things around us that he wants to fulfill all of the promises that are in Scripture. 
And remember, one of those is not that your life is always going to be happy and, and he's always going to solve everything that's going on in your life, but he will fulfill all of the promises that he has given in his word. And he is at work around you doing that right now. And this genealogy should give you encouragement because even though it took a long time and even though there was silence, God did fulfill his promises. We see in the book of Ephesians, Paul writing to this church at Ephesus, and he says this beautiful prayer in chapter 3, and he prays that they would have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ to uh, is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God and then he goes on to verse 20 and this is one of my wife's favorite verses and he goes now to him now to him who is able who is able to do I hope I spelled this right. Who's to do able to immeasurably more than all we ask? Or imagine. Isn't that an incredible verse? As we think about what the Israelites had to go through and this waiting for this promise and, and, and in your own life, I don't know, whatever it is that, that you feel like you know, God is not listening or God is silent or whatever it is. But this genealogy, this story, and this theme runs throughout all Scripture that it may take time and it may seem like God is silent, but he's not. He is working on the outside. And, and our calendar is not his calendar. And God will, he is working to fulfill all of his promises. And Paul's prayer to the church at Ephesus should just so encourage you. It's now to him. And he's really sharing with you an attribute about who God is. Because he is able, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or can imagine. And it may not be, um, sorry, it may not be how we want it to turn out, but it'll be better. It'll be better. Verse 18, Matthew goes on. And he begins the story about the birth of Jesus Christ. And he tells this story from the point of Joseph. And we learn some incredible things about our Savior through this particular passage in Matthew chapter 1. And the first thing that we begin to learn is that Christmas shows us that God... Sorry. Stop. Christmas shows that... Oh. Christmas shows us that Jesus is God, that he is human, and that he is with us. Um, look at 
Matthew chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, open it up, your, your smartphones, whatever you're, you're using. But Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And we're going to see in verse 20 that, that Matthew's telling us that Jesus is more than just a great teacher. He's more than just a morally great person or a great man. He's more than that. He is God himself. He says that um, through the angel telling Joseph that the baby inside Mary is, did not come from any human, but rather from the Holy Spirit, from the Heavenly Father. And then in verse 23, Matthew begins to quote Isaiah 7:14, right? A prophecy that the Israelite, the Jewish people would know really well that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will call him Emmanuel. And then, of course, Emmanuel means God with us. Now, most would know this prophecy, and they would begin to understand it, but most um, understood it as um, that it wouldn't be necessarily something that would be literal in their life, in their lifetime, but maybe something like that through a person, right? But God said, no, this is a very real prophecy that I am going to fulfill through my son, Jesus Christ. And here is this baby, a miracle performed by God, and it's going to be my son, Jesus, and he is going to be with you. Surprise. <laughs> this is not how they imagined it to play out, but this is how God is writing that story. And we understand when we continue to read the Gospels and Jesus' life that by his life and the claims um, that he had and, and the fact that he was able to rise from the dead, he convinced his disciples, the people that walked with him the closest, that this was not just a prophet telling them how to find God, but this was actually God himself coming to find you and I. And this is absolutely incredible, great news. Um, I read a quote from J.I. Packer that described this idea that God came in the form of man as a little baby. And I want you just to listen to this. God becomes man. The, thing, the divine son becomes a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby. Unable to do more than, than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises. Needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. And the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation that God came down on this earth in the form of a baby. I mean, this truth has far-reaching implications in our life. The assertion that Jesus Christ is God demands that, that we um, need to respond, right? Either he is who he claims to be or he is not. And if we believe in Jesus and there hasn't been some kind of life-transforming part in our life, then probably what has happened is that you... Um, haven't really grasped this idea that God came down in the form of Jesus, in the form of a man, 
Jesus Christ. And that he really is God with us. I mean, that's such an incredible, incredible truth. But not only is um, Jesus God, but he's also one of us. He's you and I, he's human. He is truly and fully God, and he's truly and fully human. And there's also implications for this in our life. Because we are to imitate Jesus in our own life, right? We read in Philippians that, that God emptied himself, right? Jesus emptied himself, and... and um, and he took the form, right, of a lowly human. And I want you just to listen. This was this voluntary restraint of power, an acceptance of hardship, isolation, ill treatment, malice, and misunderstanding. And finally, right, Jesus was saying, I'm going to go to a death that involves such agony spiritual even more than physical, that his mind nearly broke under the prospect of it. It meant love to the uttermost for us as unlovely men and women. And then the writer goes on to say, the Christian, does, the Christian spirit does not shine out in the Christian snob, for the Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who live like their master live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow humans, giving time, trouble, care, and concern to do good to others, not necessarily money, to do good to others not, and not just their own friends in whatever way there, there seems to be a need. And so here, here's, I think, what is beginning to shape up for us is that we need to be willing to do whatever with whoever, um, whenever in our life. Um, it's living with an open-hand policy and saying that, okay, I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other foot and keep walking in you, God, but whenever you speak truth into my life or whenever there is something I need to, to alter or change or move or do or say or give or whatever it is that I'm going to have this open-hand policy and I am going to go do that. Because that's what Jesus did. It's interesting that in the Old Testament we see this God that whenever he would have interactions with, the, with humans, that it was always this terrifying or this incredibly, he was this large, unapproachable being out there and it was this terrifying event. And here we see that God flips it on, right, flips that totally, and now he says, I am going to be with you, and, and I come in the form of a baby, which is incredible to me. Because now my purpose is different. And I've come to be with you and to redeem you, and um, when you place your faith in me, to change. And we can know God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if this doesn't stun us, 
Because it doesn't, right, as much as it should. <laughs> and just think about all these stories in the Old Testament. The fact that Moses and they had to put a curtain and they had to put a rope around the priest when, they, when he entered and if he didn't come out, they weren't to go in there. They would just have to pull him out. Um, because approaching God was such, because he's holy, right? And now God is saying, I'm going to be with you and I'm coming in the form of you. And his name is Jesus. And I'm going to be with you. And that you can know me personally through him. I mean, this should just blow us away. And we should just be incredibly thankful. We've just gone past, right, this season of being thankful. That should be something that we're incredibly thankful for. That he did this so that we can be with him and that he can be with us. And there's another thing that, um, that comes in this passage that I want to talk about and, and to think about in, in the life of Joseph. And I think that this gets overlooked sometimes. Joseph was going to marry Mary. And he came to understand that, that Mary was pregnant. And he knew that, she, or that he was not the father. And so he was a good Jewish man, and he was going to um, divorce her quietly so that he wouldn't publicly shame her. Then we read that the angel came to Joseph and said, hey, I want you to marry her because the baby that's inside of her does not come from a human but comes from the Holy Spirit. And then we read that Joseph got up and obeyed and married her. It's interesting that when, <laughs> it's just a simple sentence, but there's so much there. Because what had to have happened in Joseph's heart for him to do that? He had to believe, right? He had to believe and then he had to obey. And it took great courage to do that. Because in order for him to do that, he knew that when Jesus comes into his life, that he is going to be, people are going to know that either he was the one who got Mary pregnant or she was unfaithful to him because of the timing of the whole thing. And there was going to be ridicule, there was going to be shame, there was going to be um, ostracized, and, and all of that, and he knew that. And yet he was obedient to the Heavenly Father anyway. And I believe it took great, great courage. And Christmas shows us that if we want a relationship with Jesus, that it's going to require courage in our life. It's going to have, ask you to be brave. To stand in the face of rejection in this world. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, we heard the story of Mook and just with her and her family. And maybe that happens in your life. 
It takes courage, right, to stand in the face of that of rejection. And people not understanding this relationship that you have with Jesus Christ and why you do the things that you do because of what you believe and the implications of all of that. And so we need courage, right, to, to stand up or to give us the, um, we need courage to, to stand up and say, Jesus is my Lord. In chapter 2, we understand that, that because of Jesus in their life, it meant that Joseph's, Joseph's life and Mary's life and the baby's life were in danger. I mean, this is some very real things um, that happen. And what else we need courage with is that a lot of times we want to determine our own life. And we read in, that, in those, those verses that, that the angels said that I want you to name the baby Jesus. And in the Jewish culture, uh, the naming rights to that went to the father. And so he was even asked to give up that right because there was already a name picked out. And so Joseph had to give up that right. And he had to give up the right to, um, to do what he wanted, right? And, and that's a struggle for us, that we want to do what we want to do. And if we're going to be a follower of Christ, then it means that we need to have the courage to reject this self-determination in our life and to place Christ on the throne, Jesus on the throne, and for him to be Lord in our life. A lot of us say that I want Jesus, I believe Jesus, he's a great man and all of that. And then we say, I want Jesus but, or I want Jesus if. And we always want to put these conditions there. And that's not what it means to be a follower of Christ. It is, I want Jesus, period. Wherever, whenever, whoever, however, I am going to obey you and do what you want in my life. Luke 9.23 says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. It really is living with an open-hand policy in our life, and it takes incredible, incredible courage. The last thing is this story from Charles Dickens' life. There was this critical point in the movie where Charles Dickens had to come to grips with um, something in his past that was very troubling to him. And he, and he was not able to, um, that kept creeping up in his life and it kept, um, or helped him move to make some really bad decisions in his life. And, and it also, um, I think, was the foundation for just how he treated his wife and how he treated his kids and the people around him. And it wasn't until he got to this point in the story and in his life where he needed to confront that. And he went back to um, the, the factory that he had to work at when he was a little guy because his dad was taken away. His family was taken away. And he had to confront that in his life. And he had to deal with it. And he had to deal with the ugliness that um, came from that because he maybe was embarrassed about being a factory child when he's this famous author or whatever it was in his life. And he had to come to grips with that 
and he did, and that's when he began to change. And in our life, that's a great metaphor for us in the sense that in, in order for us to fully embrace what it means to be a follower of Christ, that we need to have the courage to confront our own sin, to admit that we are a sinner, and that is hard for us. To admit that we are a sinner, that, that I have done things, that I do not love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and I do not love the, my neighbor as myself, I have fallen woefully short of that. And I need a Savior. And it takes courage to admit that there's nothing that I can do to be saved. That I need Jesus in my life. Jesus faced unimaginable pain and death out of love for you and me. No one forced him. I mean, think about it. That plays out in our life all the time. I mean, we're always told don't get in between a mother, uh, a, a mama bear and her cubs, right? There's many stories in, in the movies and in books about um, that, that, pick, that depict a mom who staunchly defends her children even to the point of just overwhelming odds, but she will do anything for that one little person, the baby or, or plethora of kids, whatever it is, and she will do anything. And why does she do that? She does that because she loves them. And why did Jesus have the courage to do what he did for you and I? And it was absolutely love. And then how will you get the courage to do what you need to do? That same way. You see him doing all that he did for you. And that will begin to draw out uh, your love for him. And then you'll have the courage to put him into the center of your life. And then he will be with you and you will be with him. This Christmas story is just an incredible incredible journey and we're going to have a lot of fun looking at the different themes that were weaved throughout of that throughout this and I pray that this morning that there will be one or a couple of things that that the Holy Spirit has put into your heart that you need to think through and be obedient towards and it's such a powerful powerful message and a great great story let's pray Heavenly Father, this is such a, a great time of year. And I love um, this season. I love uh, family, being around family. And I love the, the, what seems to be joy, God, centered around this time of year. I love um, the, the aspect of giving. And it just seems like 
um, and even just little moments, God, we, we pause and we get to reflect. But God, my prayer is that as we enter into this, this Christmas season, God, that maybe this is the year that we truly read the stories, the story in the Gospels. Again, with fresh eyes. And God, maybe we take that genealogy and we look up every person that's listed and just read the stories, the incredible stories of faith and the people that God used in the lineage of Jesus and how they weren't all good people, quote unquote. And God, how that means that that you're open to all. We simply have to bow before you humbly and accept you as our Savior and Lord. Maybe we need more courage, God. I don't know what it is. God, may I pray that this story in Matthew will touch us and God, help us to be obedient to that. We pray these things in Jesus' name.